0: You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell, With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation, while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hello, everyone. This is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast on with me today is Jorge Pulido. Jorge, welcome.
1: Thank you, Dirk. Uh, it's a pleasure being here with you.
0: Yeah, I, I look forward. I, you know, Jorge and I met um, not long ago, but it was he was one of those uh, men that we were having dinner and some drinks. We, our kids, our friends, go to school together, and we just hit it off right away on many, many fronts. Uh, everything from scuba diving to mindfulness to just, you know, being great fathers and um, work. But, you know, so I, I think 10 minutes in, I'm like, I need to have you on my podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Jorge is, uh, he has a very interesting background, very accomplished, very successful. Uh, he's been with Microsoft for a long time. Prior to that it was with Disney, I believe HP as well. Uh, and also comes from Venezuela. So he has a lens that not many of us do, just coming from a different country and getting uh acclimated to our country our our careers our world so we'll touch on that but jorge why don't you just kind of in your own words tell a little tell the audience a little bit about what it is you do at microsoft what you've been doing and kind of your i know you're in the world of business development maybe you can elaborate on that
1: sure well first of all thank you so much for having me on your show it's an honor i feel humble and I wish you know, I had resources like this one that you're putting together when I was making my career choices a long time ago. So I think you're after something very powerful, very impactful. So thank you for that. And uh, yes, I have to say that immediately uh, I connected with Dirk uh, in just you a know, few conversations, immediately I knew uh, from here, we're gonna build something great, uh, great friendship and and hopefully Uh, take it beyond that and hopefully impact many lives with this content. Yeah, answering your question, Dirk, I, you know, lately I've been doing uh, or performing a profession that's called business development. So for your audience, business development, uh, it's used very broadly. So you will see the term business development in many places and it's uh, used interchangeable. And I will say it's even... Uh, being abused the way that you use business development. And maybe people confuse that with being a seller or being a product manager. Um, but um, very simple business development, or a little more formal term, is more how do you drive long term inorganic revenue growth, profitable revenue growth, and at scale? That's pretty much in a nutshell what it is, and I could break it down for your audience. What does that mean? Well, Dirk, um, business development uh, and driving that long-term uh, inorganic growth is that every company is gonna have, I will say, organic growth. If if they continue executing, their revenue is gonna grow over time because they're gonna be reaching out more customers, they're gonna be hiring more people, they're gonna extending in territories. And that's the normal trajectory of the progression that a company will have. So then some of the company will have an organization that is called business development, and those are not sellers. They're not looking for short-term immediate results. They're more thinking how we can achieve something that accelerate instead of taking that curve of the revenue in doing more an inflection point where they take a more steep curve and not just in the short term, but it's sustained over time. And they do it in a way that is scalable. What does that mean? Well, I'm gonna use a very, very simple metaphor uh, that has been used long time and I'm gonna steal that from many author, but I think it's gonna be very illustrative for your audience. Yeah. So imagine that uh, a village, right, meets water. Imagine uh, people, uh, you know, thinking about, okay, how do we bring water to a village where maybe there's a river far from the village, right? And then some people put together uh, a group of, you know, workers and they start carrying buckets of water from the river down to the village. Of course, you know, if they need more water, they need to hire more workers. And uh, if they need to have water at night, they need to have workers working at night. So instead of doing that, then imagine that you have another group of people thinking, how can I have something sustainable that scales and, and that can pretty much you know, achieve scale and, and bigger magnet. So there's another group of people instead of carrying a bucket of water, imagine that they build a pipeline from the river to bring water to the village. Of course, immediately you wouldn't see anything. You know, all the citizens and all the people from the village say, what are these guys doing? and you see maybe a longer time of effort and work and study and think like, how do they bring the water from the river to the village instead of carrying the bucket of water? But once the whole pipeline is being built, then you have more water supply 24 by seven with minimum effort. So more effort at the beginning, but once the the water is flowing through the pipeline and gets to the village, then you don't need more people to bring those uh, bucket of water and then you have a sustained water stream flowing down to the village and you can have water 24 by 7 and with very minimal support so imagine that but now include technology so that's what i'm pretty much uh, doing instead of carrying a bucket of water i'm building pipelines to get the water from the river down to the village but i do that with technology nowadays you know, it's hard to conceive a company that doesn't have technology involved in their core services. That's pretty much in a nutshell what I do.
0: Yeah, let me stop you because that's a really, what you really did, which I, I love, is you articulated maybe the difference between outside sales, which is more of a short term Kind of reactive, like I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in both in my industry, but the the long term strategic thinking, and I think it's important for the audience if you're watching. You know, it's a very uh, long play, long term strategy. But at the end of the day, it's powerful, right? I mean, you change you change things in a drastic way. I guess I, in your analogy, I'm wondering what all the people that were carrying buckets do now.
1: Um. Well, of course, you know, that was a metaphor, but uh many people are yeah. doing that. And and in particular, um, of course, you always need the transactional aspect of it, right? Okay. Once you and, and there are also grace in between. You know, I just painted maybe two extremes of scenarios. Yeah, but uh it's not just like you know, either you're Carrying bucket of water, or you building pipeline. Right. There's also a broad range in between. And when you have, you know, technology, uh, or you have any other source, it could be, you know, lending, investing, or it can be another profession, right? It works in a different way. So doing business development uh, can work in multiple areas. But when it's about a technology, it's uh, and now with cloud computing, yeah. Now you have SaaS solutions, so you have more revenue stream but yes you know in technology you can have the analogy of carrying bucket of water or selling maybe software on premise that would be one analogy sure versus maybe selling SaaS solution where you're paying a subscription or you're paying uh pay as you go so the more that you consume so there are multiple ways that you can monetize that yeah but definitely the trend is more to have a relationship less transactional and more uh, ongoing long-term uh, drive and the key word here is scale, right? You don't want to add more resources. You want to be competitive over time, and to be able to scale and replicate your impact through maybe partners or other tiers or other centers, so you can reach to locations and geos and industries that otherwise you wouldn't be able to.
0: Yeah. So I so I'm thinking about someone like yourself in business development, and I'm thinking about. The skill sets the things that separate jorge from other people like and if people are watching and they're thinking this sounds i like this This sounds more in line with who i am what do you think the the key traits and you know skill sets that you have that are conducive to the biz dev versus maybe more of an outside sales quicker kind of thing like are you just very strategic do you do you like to sit back think about long term like what is it why is it that you do so well in this environment
1: um, I will give you two set of action, uh, answers, Dirk. Uh, there's one philosophical angle to it. What I mean by that is that, first of all, the philosophical angle is that you have to be empathetic. We have, You have to be empathetic with all the bodies. When you're doing a partnership, when you're putting maybe two or more entities to work together, then to either check one of these four boxes because you either want to achieve a new market or you want to fill a gap in your product stack. Or maybe you want to um, just learn. You know, sometimes you do a partnership in business and just to learn from a new business model, right? And that's one of the ways that you do. You do maybe a commercial or a technical collaboration between the two parties to understand that third party. Or maybe you want to do also PR. And of course, all that to drive that, as I said, long-term profitable revenue growth. But uh, definitely having that empathetic. Uh, I will say uh, being empathetic with all the parties and stakeholders involved, not only inside your organization, but also the uh, inside the other parties organization that you're partnering with. It's a key trade. It's 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 important to constantly be aware and checking who's benefit from that partnership. Yeah. The other one that is more a tactical angle. It's more ensuring you have an executive sponsor, ensuring that you find and the synergies. That's a key trait. And I think that's where I think I bring a lot of value to the table, me and my team, where we, we identified how to connect the, the puzzle pieces. right? And of course, you mentioned that there's a lot of research. You have to study the industry, the competition, you know, internally, you have to sell success to be and being very critical um, because you might think, oh, everything's going great. Yeah. But then the thinking is how you can take that to the next level, always challenging yourself. So the mentality and the mindset that you have to have is how do I take this to the next level? No matter where I am, how can I continue driving growth and how can I continue driving efficiencies? How can I continue beating the competition? How I can better meet my customer needs? And doing that in a way that you can triangulate, right, and find those combination of inside um, value with somebody externally or some exogenous agent that you can bring in into the equation so you can then catapult or leapfrog um, the value. So those are, I will say, key traits, and I think uh, my background of being, understanding the end-to-end sales process and being an entrepreneur running my own business and being in so many organizations in a large company like Microsoft, Walt Disney, or Hewlett Parker has helped me to have that open mind and always curious intellectually to start looking for many angles um, in many aspects like legal, marketing, operations, go-to-market, sales, product engineering. So all those type of organizations to see how can I tap into those resources to bring them together to realize value that otherwise wouldn't have happened organically.
0: Yeah, you said something uh, curious, being curious, I would assume patience. You know, a lot of people are wanting something quickly and they want to expedite their, like you have to have a long-term outlook, I believe. And and then your ability to really interact with multiple divisions, different personalities, different groups, being likable, you know, uh, it seems like those are all really crucial components to being successful. And I I know just from getting to know you, you have all those Um, I'm curious is, is like thinking of a project, not to get specific, but when you take on a project, is this a project that you marry for a year and a half, two years, and then move on to a different project? How does that, how does the stickiness, like, I would assume that if you created something extraordinary, do you stay on it or do you move on to the next deal?
1: Great question, uh, Dirk, and um, if if you think about the life cycle, I'm going to address your question, just okay. uh, explaining to your audience what the typical life cycle is of a deal. Okay. So at first, you start maybe doing a what I call the first phase, which is like you start doing a strategy analysis, like, okay, what is it you're trying to achieve, right? So that's where you start at the very beginning. What's the strategy of your organization? What are you trying to achieve? Is that you want to achieve, uh, I don't know, increase of market share in a vertical, in an industry or in a geo, or you want to launch a new product and you want to test it, or you want to partner with somebody else to whatever that is, you have to have clarity of of that goal that you want to achieve. You don't partner for the sake of partnering. Um, And then once you do that initial uh, strategy, then you have to secure approval for that strategy right because in an organization you don't work in a silo you have to align to your key stakeholders sales marketing product engineering so you have to socialize uh, what your strategy is and ensure you take input and feedback for example you don't want to you don't want to have a strategy to penetrate a market with let's say a partner that then other organizations or the group have an orthogonal objective, or this one might be even a threat or misaligned to that one. So that's an opportunity to get feedback and align. That's the first phase, and that might take, you know, let's say, you know, it could be taking anywhere, and that's a, a lot of I'll say internal research insight, but also hearing inputs and looking at trends and analysis, and and getting a lot of maybe surveys and talking to some people outside to get an analysts, private equity firms, venture capital firms uh, or startups, you know it could be any activities just to gather that imagine that you're building a business case. That's what I call the initial strategy. It might take maybe three months, six months. and then after that one then you secure the target. you start okay, based on this strategy you identify these are the top, uh, I will say bodies, entities, competitors, or potential partners that you want to partner with. And then you start prioritizing based on your strategy and based on doing the analysis of those uh, companies. And then you start negotiating, knowing that you already have support to execute on that strategy. Then you have pretty much the backup. You have already the badge to go and start socializing, of course, with uh, NDAs and secretly, you don't want to vent uh, or air out what you're trying to do. With India, you try to touch those entities and and pretty much gauge the interest of them to partner with you. And that might take another six months or three months. And um, after you get that negotiation pretty much nailed down and you build what is called a term sheet, which pretty much outline the key terms of that relationship. Okay, I give you that, you give me this, this is how I'm benefit from this relationship. This is what I'm willing to, to do or to get. This is how I'm willing to invest. This is a risk that I'm willing to take. This is what I'm looking for, et cetera. And and these are the key terms, like these are the non-negotiable things. These are maybe the boundaries. And that's what I call the approval to negotiate. Once we do that, you might be uncovering new terms and new things that that might be out of the scope of the initial strategy. So you have to go back to your executive and then have what I call a final go-no-go which is then the third phase of ensuring that before I continue moving on, that's another opportunity to bring maybe something changed externally or maybe the company changed the strategy. So that's an opportunity to ensure alignment with your strategy and your execution with the company. And once you have that approval, then you either tweak it and go back to your party or you start then putting in paper and involving legal to have the final contract you sign, and then you agree how you want to manage the relationship moving forward because you want to ensure, in particular, business development have a role to guarantee or to look after the, those terms to ensure that whatever you said you will do, people are going to be continuing executing, which what I call the funnel phase, which is governance. Okay. How do we ensure whatever we said and we discuss and we put in a paper, people in organization are going to be standing behind that? In particular, people go. And come or maybe this turn or, or executives leaving the company or new people, so you want to make sure that you hold them accountable, both internally in your organization or outside to ensure that you execute on those terms, and that's what I call the governance, and that governance, business development might be even involved there, depending on what terms were defined and, and who agreed to be doing and executing the governance.
0: Yeah, you know... Very interesting. I, you know, you, in your bio, you said something about running to the fire, right? And, I, and maybe you can elaborate on that, but like this whole process that, you know, it sounds like it could take a year and a half, two years longer. In that process, are there fires like things that change and then you got to go back? And I mean, how would you define running to the fire?
1: Well, that's it. Uh, what Dirk. Just for my for the audience, what Dirk is mentioning that I have one slider.
0: Yeah, it's and I a... love it. I love it. By the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a. Just to explain to your audience what that is that you're pointing. Out, I think uh, it's it's a good asset or or artifact or tool to introduce yourself. Yeah. So there are multiple ways that you can introduce yourself. You can introduce yourself with maybe recording a video about yourself and maybe putting a podcast. This is who I am. You can maybe have your resume and saying, this is my branding and this. But in the other way, uh, a little more informally, more personal, uh, what I have done is I do a lot of coaching and I love coaching uh, people internally and externally, helping them precisely uh, align to the purpose that you're going after, Dirk, is I have one slider where I introduce myself. And in that slider, I said, this is my background, these are my values, this is what I have studied, this is what I enjoy. These are my beliefs. And one of that is what are my management uh, principles as a manager, as a leader? And I list out five. So running to the fire is one of the one of the five that I mentioned there. And running to the fire means that I, I like to work with people who go to solve the problem. Imagine a firefighter, they run to the fire, right? Because in the fire is where the problem is. And that's just a metaphor and analysis to say, where there's problem, even though the fire that you see maybe as a threat, sure, yeah, solving a problem is not fun. It's like when you see the problem, everyone wants to run away. I don't want to be in problems. But somebody who wants and is intrigued and is attracted to solve the problem, once you solve it, you're going to be rewarded. And if you see something that might benefit the organization, or you see uh, that you can drive, Attention and resources toward where there's a problem or an opportunity to, to tackle, and you solve that generally you're rewarded and that's a way to drive awareness and and give you the sense of ownership that is very important for me and I look at uh, people that I surround by
0: I, I loved it you know and I, that's why I brought it up because i'm like even in my own world in real estate lending loans go something happens and I've always uh, really been happy and um excited when I'm working with a team that is all about solving the problem instead of like, you know, whining about it, you know? And so when you said that, I thought, you know, what an important trait to have, especially in technology, because I would assume things come up often and you have to have the mindset of going after and trying to find a solution. So I, I, so this, you just gave us kind of a rundown. So let's just say that's a two-year process. Once it's complete and you've the, the last part of it, do you move on? Like, does your manager or your boss say, all right, now this is a new project we have, or do you kind of manage and babysit that project you just took care of?
1: Well, um, also to clarify, um, I have done deals from sip to nuts in three months. Okay. And also I have done deals that have last two years. So anything in between. Okay. But uh, you're not just focused on one deal. And when I have, you know, my team, you know, a small team that I have, and uh, we're pursuing maybe four or five opportunities simultaneously. And each of them are in different phases of that life cycle. Some of them were just doing the research. Some of the other ones were in the middle of negotiations. Some of them were just uh, doing the governance. But as I said, um, you know, it's always trying to maximize uh, the capacity of the team. And of course, there are some. Uh, I will say stages of that life cycle that requires one hundred percent of your attention, where you know uh, your attention cannot be divided uh, between projects. So you are maniacal pursuing that opportunity. And the others which you maybe take ten percent of your time, like, no, no worries. there's only a quarterly business reviews and follow ups where I'm gonna be only here in in case you know something blows up or something that I have to bring back on track and things like that. And depending on uh, also what we agree to do, right? Uh, you might be closing a deal and the deal is something where another party where a business development doesn't have to be there and the other party takes the ball moving forward. So there's not much there, but um, definitely um, most of the time the, the business development professional has to look proactively and always thinking with other stakeholders to see what are the opportunities to add value. So it's it's a role where I've, I'm fascinated by the role because uh, it, it pushes you all the time to start thinking about growth, adding value and creating value and doing things that the, the rest of the organization are not thinking about, but forces you to take a 360 view of the whole company because most of the time in my case, I'm responsible for a significant amount of product in, in the portfolio of solution that Microsoft offers. But also I'm thinking about the trends, what's not here, what others can offer, how we can benefit, what you can learn. So you're constantly thinking and bringing ideas. But also you have three sources. So either your manager says, hey, let's pursue this, i hear about this, or you discover something. Or maybe an executive uh, comes with an idea that you want to explore. And many of the opportunities, I would say more often than not, you turn that down and say, no, we shouldn't be pursuing that. Okay. But yeah, it's it's an ongoing thing that you're always doing uh, and thinking, and you're also pulled to multiple directions where you have to say no most of the time to be very focused on how you're carrying the most impact and value. And it's not that the ideas are bad, just re- the resources are very you know small or scarce compared to the amount of opportunity that you have. So you have to be very selective of how you can maximize your time to create the biggest impact.
0: So during this time... I'm curious what your day is like like are, are you if you had a pie and you d- divvied it up you know is it 60% working face to face with other divisions groups is it zoom calls is it. Um, research on your on your computer like w- what does your week look like when you're deep in I know the stages are different and maybe demand different skill sets at different times, but if someone's watching and listening and they're thinking, okay, is this a, a job where I'm driving around meeting with all these different groups, or is this a job that I can sit in front of my computer and do via Zoom, like, what does it look like?
1: So I have to say that I have closed deals where I haven't met the, the customer or the partner in person ever, okay. so in particular during COVID times, I, I didn't have to fly or like, it's uh, all via uh, uh, Teams meeting of uh, Microsoft. We use Teams uh, yeah. of Zoom, but yeah, Zoom, uh, Zoom Teams, uh, or any other vehicle for doing uh, video conferencing. And, and there are a few cases you have to meet, uh, but definitely I will say there are three types of activities that are in my calendar. One, one, which is a rhythm that I keep with stakeholders internally in Microsoft. Uh, so, I have a room to get insights and exchange thoughts about how the business is doing uh, with uh, product marketing, with product engineering, with sales. Also I will say the three key sources, but also depending on what I'm looking for, what I'm studying, I get to also meet with you know, the field, uh, the sellers in one region, or, or maybe pre-sales team, or technical engineering, or even legal. Uh, and... So I, I keep this, I will say, rhythm internally. There's another, And and I will say that's maybe 30% of my time, uh, generally speaking of me and my team. And then there's another, I will say, um, big portion of my time, Derek, that I spend it, um, I will say, meeting external parties. Uh, it's just uh, getting external outside. So signals from the market where maybe... I was you know, at one point meeting also in a quarterly basis and monthly basis, venture capital firms, private equity firms, to see where the funds were invested. There's a saying that said, if you wanna know what's happening, follow the money. So where these venture capital firms and private equity investment were you know, investing or where startups were raising money, what were the new technologies? So that was a big thing that, um, that I was building relationships uh, to get those, I will say, digital signals from the market. And there's another third, I will say, of my time where I was, um, you know, dedicated to the specific partnership that I was driving. So that's sort of um, how I will say my day-to-day was divided. Okay. And so one third, uh, just to wrap up, one third, I will say, is external audiences and customers and, you know, the specific deal. And the other one, internal and external uh, signals and and getting feedback and, and watching trends and opportunities to add value.
0: I, w- I would think that if you're not a social person or maybe you're an introvert or you, you don't like people, this might not be an area that you would excel in. Is that a correct a- assumption or am I off on that?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Uh, for your audience, I think they can benefit from this. Uh, when, when I look for maybe somebody that I wanna to bring to my team, the ideal candidate we'll have, I'll say, four key uh, traits or experiences. Definitely the first one is, is being a sailor, you know, being somebody who can understand the pain point from the customer and translate that into a solution. So having the sales mindset and, and not choosing in the personality of being an extroverted. You can be an introverted, and that's fine. I have known very successful business development professionals that are introverted. So... That's not, I will say, a cause for you to rule out uh, exploring the business development profession, but definitely what, in my opinion, is something that is very powerful and will make a business development professional very successful is more the great, the satisfaction of achieving a goal. There are some people who are tend more to be, uh, I will say, operational and more inside, and not so much going out there and relating uh, or achieving a goal. That's what I call the seller mindset. The second one is uh, knowing how to build things. So the mentality of creating new value and creating new products, new solutions. So that's that's key. And I see business development professionals who are very successful when they, they know how to have that mindset or have the instinct. Or that curiosity intellectual curiosity of creating new value of when you put pieces together when you develop something that doesn't exist or taking something from a lower value to a higher value and and then entails you know how to work with engineering uh to to see how engineering can develop a product or a solution the third thing is um knowing the execution of how to take that solution to market right um, because It's not just about creating something and then, okay, how do you get to the customer or through the partners? So you have to understand how to sell to, sell with and sell through, which are the three uh, ways that you can uh, leverage a, you know, a sales go-to-market strategy. How you put that in the hands of the final customer or a partner who can add value and then take it to another party, which is the end customer and for um, i will say it's also the negotiation trade the you know sitting down with another party and how you defend the value but also how you demand and and how you negotiate those terms the give and gets the hustle and uh, and understand not just you don't have to be a lawyer but understand risk and and how to take the most out of the relationship uh without harming the other party that's what i call it more a win-win solution where you may be finding or achieving maximizing the value of the entire uh i would say group of parties who are coming together in a partnership that might be two or more parties how do you add and how do you maximize that value on those uh on those different parties those are the four traits i will say that uh, a good professional in business development should have
0: really great explanation so somebody coming out of say a master's or college university that's interested how do how do they get into this world because maybe it takes i mean you've been in the business a long time it's taken you probably you've you've honed your skills over the course of years somebody that doesn't have the life experience that you have how do they get it
1: great question and i'll say the the natural progression Dirk. it's starting with sales Yep. Uh, when you start in sales and understanding um, how you can take the value proposition of a product or a solution, and then connect that to the pain points of your customer, and of course starting with the end customer first in mind, you go to a customer and not like, "Hey, this is what I have to sell to you." You don't start with that. You start with, "Let me see if I can help you," because I don't know if you can help the customers. You have to first understand what are the customer pain points and what are those needs, and then turn around and say. Does my organization have something that we can offer that can put together to serve those needs? Sometimes you have to walk away and say, I'm sorry, but yeah, your needs cannot be fulfilled or cannot be met. But the portfolio of product that I represent, or let me bring somebody else, or let me suggest that you look in this direction, but not me, right? So that's, I will say, the the natural career path, starting with sales, understanding that, and then evolving from, from there. understand the full cycle of sales so once you're in sales you can then naturally understand okay how products are being developed how you take a product down to the customer and then just cover um, the four aspects that i said but naturally everybody start with sales or should start with sales some people start and they go straight into business development they start shadowing others and maybe they start doing more clerk work and supporting others and watching but it's you know one thing is you know, seeing and hearing, and the other thing is you doing it, right? And and being in those shoes first. I think uh, people might think, well, no, I just want to go straight to business development. (laughs) You might, uh, but it'll be slower, and you you won't have that experience, uh, your own first-party experience, as opposed to maybe take a little bit longer and then understand first how you sell, how you negotiate, how you transact, how you quote, how you manage other relationships like partners and third parties to assemble that solution and being in customer facing before you go into business. So that's, that'll be my, my advice and what I have seen over time. I
0: love it. So give me one thing. I mean, there's, you're, you've thrown out a lot of really interesting things we could talk about, but I'm curious, like just getting to know you, what is it? Is there one thing that you just love about, your career in, in being in technology and business dev, is there one thing that sticks out?
1: The, I will say, let me go with two, even though you're asking me one, but there are two things that stick out.
0: Give me three. I don't care. Just give me okay. a couple. Yeah,
1: I'll go in with three. All right. The first, th- the first thing that I'm more passionate about is coaching. So I don't see myself doing a prof- uh you know, doing a role that is individual contributor without having a team. And even though I am an an individual contributor, one thing that produces me most of my satisfaction is is being a witness when someone achieves something that they wouldn't have thought that they could achieve before. So when I work in a business, or I will say a career development path with someone, could be someone in my team or somebody, in a different org in the company or somebody, even outside the company that I know uh, through a friendship. When when I, when I get with that person and I set goals, that that person say, oh, there's no way I can achieve that. And then we work through it as a North star and say, okay, let's say that you won't achieve that, but let's move towards that direction to see how far you can go. And then over time, seeing the satisfaction of that person and the surprise and seeing that person set, resetting their expectation at a different level because they achieved something that they thought they wouldn't ever achieve. That's, the, I will say, the thing that produced me most of my satisfaction. I love it. The second thing is uh, when, I, when I'm when i able to put a team together and build a solution that didn't exist, so creating new value and then meeting customer needs after I have already understood and translated, the all, all that I hear, which, which might be a lot of noise from the customer. And you hear a lot of suffering and pain points and discomfort. And, and, you know, you see the Delta express between what they're looking for and where the status quo is. And then, okay, let's define where you want to go and, and start dreaming about the art of the possible. And then coming with a solution that helped them take there i i love it i love it which is pretty much you know being a translator between you know two parties Mm -hmm. trying to achieve value and create value that i love that and i will say the third thing is uh just being always constantly pushing yourself and try to see my greatest satisfaction of all what i do personally and professionally try to always see what's new what's the latest uh how i can push myself to be more effective how can i drive growth so all that rumbling all the time uh that i'm always asking myself and challenging my team those are the three things i will say that like my my life every day
0: i can tell why you're such a good parent because all those things <laughs> to me are a part of parenting you know they are yep um so i want to get into okay so jorge um is an immigrant, moved from Venezuela. And my question really is about the lens that you have that maybe many who are watching right now or listening don't have. Uh, You know, I think, I don't know, was it Florida? I'm not sure exactly where you came first, but is there something that you can go back and, and put your finger on that like was very different? Like maybe a lens that you have that I might not have just coming from a different country.
1: Sure, yeah. So, uh, just for clarity, for uh, for your audience, so I am raised and born in Venezuela, um, and so I moved here in two thousand seven here to the U.S. Um, and I brought my family, and um, half of the fam- you know, the, uh, my family from my dad's side, um, they were born and raised here in in Florida. And when I say here in the United States, but down in Florida, I'm now in, in the uh, Seattle area. But um, so when I when I moved here and always comparing, let me step back. But uh, since I was a kid, uh, all the movies that I w- will watch were in English. I was always curious. about you know, there's something else. There's something bigger and outside. And it might be different. And I don't know if that's better or worse, but it's different. And uh, I was always curious. So my my really that, uh, I would say, attraction or interest to learn that, that curiosity, intellectual curiosity to learn what was the source of something that is bigger than where I was living, start being ignited when I was a scuba diving instructor. So I started taking classes as, as a diver, and of course, all the books that I was reading were in English, all the movies by that time, all the videos. And so it was trick and, and all the, the sources of those inventions of new equipment were coming from somewhere else. So I was curious uh, always about that. And I never received like formal, I would say, English classes. And I was like, I-, I need to learn that. I-, I need to be part of that. I need to be closer to that. So I always had that, I would say, warm inside me, that rumbling in my head. And things in Venezuela, growing up, they start—I would say—deteriorating. You know, political situation, social situation that your your audience can quickly w- Wikipedia and Google and search uh, if you want to know about that. But my background was coming from—I'll say—a country that was not doing great, and it was you know getting worse by the minute. So I was interested to explore something new. And of course, also my personality. So I was working on these big firms that were international. So I used to travel. I was in Hewlett-Packard and Walt Disney. And so all this company gave me the opportunity to be exposed also to networks and getting to know people from different places uh, all ar- around the world. But because all these company has offices in, in most of the countries, if not all. And my personality was very outgoing. And one day, somebody from headquarters in Microsoft said, "Why don't you come to work with us?" And uh, and my family's like, "No, you know, how come? You know, all my family's here. Let's stay here." But things were getting worse and worse until uh, until you know I agree with my wife that uh, we should be just taking a chance and and seeing how that looks like. So. She, she made me even sign an agreement that uh, we wouldn't move more than three years outside, uh, and it's been seventeen years now. <laughs> now. We have been living abroad, and uh, we have given my kids uh, opportunities that I don't think you know they would have had had we stayed in Venezuela. But now, going to your specific audience after providing the background is that um, when I came here, the first thing that I noticed that uh, my greed, my ambition, like. After having um, been exposed to all these resources and all these opportunities and tools that I, I didn't have when I was in Venezuela, I, I brought this the creativity. And I noticed that most of the immigrants coming from not only underdeveloped countries, but also any other place, even more developed countries. But when you come to a different place, the mindset that you bring is like, how do I take the most out of what I have right now? And not only immediate, but you start with that creative mindset. Like, how do I, you you know, you start with that curiosity. And it's like, how do I tap into more value? How do I take the most out of this opportunity? How do I network your brain, your mindset expands to ways that uh, otherwise had I stayed in Venezuela or hadn't I moved? Even if I was raised here, when you don't move and you don't explore or you don't compare, you're not benchmarking now in a more global world, you're limiting yourself. And and I, I see, when you look to the slides, I see people who have that background uh, be more successful in the end. Would so that's s- one of the key things, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. Would you say a lot of your success, maybe part of it at least stems from your upbringing?
1: I will say my success, if I were to gas uh, and do a self Assessment come from three three aspects. The first one is, uh, yeah, that being exposed to something bigger and my curiosity to to tap into uh, a world that is bigger than my source. Uh, that was one thing. The other one was just um, being exposed to very close families where they went through bankruptcy and and crisis and course, in, in Venezuela, there's very hard to plan, to budget, to imagine going through 300% evaluation or hyperinflation. Uh, so it's very hard to plan for that. So when you come to a place that is more stable, you bring that grit, that ambition, and uh, and that's also a key success. But also, it's the the experience of what I have seen uh, in my surroundings of maybe people failing, but also people being very successful that I have used as a benchmark to push myself.
0: Okay. I love it. Um, as we wind down, there's a couple key things I always ask my guests that I don't want to forget with you. Uh, and not specific in terms of like one of them is compensation, but not like what you make or whatever. But when you're in the world of biz dev, um, is that typically a salaried position? Is there a bonus based off how you know? Let's just say you take uh, something from here to here. Like how is how are people typically compensated at a higher level in biz dev? So
1: that's very important uh, to know for your audience. So. Business development, most of the time, again, when you're not within the product management or you're not in sales, which I said at the beginning of the, of your show, Dirk, um, on purpose, deliberately, you're not compensating by the amount of sales that you drive for two reasons. One, you want to have always a long-term view. And secondly, you don't, you don't want to sacrifice short-term wins for the long-term growth of the company. And the other one is it's very hard to measure, right? Because if you want to take, I don't know, 2X or 10X or 100X, where's the bar? Where are the, th- the threshold that typically you compensate variable to, to someone in business development? So most of the, the compensation, you have a base and then you have a variable, but the variable is not like a, a quota that you had to achieve. Even though you have sales target or you have target that you impose yourself, um, it's not like you were a seller. But yeah, you most of the time you have a ceiling, um, which is uh, unlike, you know, being an entrepreneur and and having your own company.
0: Okay. Um, And as far as like the life behind it, you know, I know you're a very involved uh, dad. Uh, I know you like to scuba dive. I know we've talked about meditation, uh, working out. Um, Do you feel like this is a career that allows you to have a good balance? Well,
1: the word balance is, it's very interesting. I have my own philosophy that I can share with your yeah. audience. It's like, I don't believe in work-life balance. Okay. I, I I, I believe that your life has work and you have to be able to learn to work in something you're passionate about. So if you're passionate about what you do, you won't see that as a, oh my gosh, I have to work nine to five, or I cannot work more than 14 hours. It'll be fine working on the Sunday if you have a global role, which I have done, because maybe my customers in a country that they work on Sundays, uh, as I recently had. Right, so I had to work on Sundays because for them they don't work on Fridays; they work on Sunday, or maybe the time zone. When you have a global role, uh, you have customers everywhere, and I'm like recently I was working with a customer who was, you know, 13 hours different. So for me, Sunday was their Monday, and. and and their Saturday was my Friday. So we will take turns. But what I believe is that uh, there are some non-negotiables that I have for myself. And it's like, you know, I have to work out and I carve out and I block time to work out. I have to spend certain time in certain events with my family. So I need to have that flexibility to carve uh, out from my working environment and my schedule, those personal or individual commitments either because I need to do it for myself or I wanted to do it because I wanted to be um, with my family.
0: Yeah. So you said something like if you have a global role uh, for the audience, you have to be aware and willing that maybe some of your Sunday nights or, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe it's not a nine to five kind of gig. You have to be willing and able to kind of work different types of hours. That's right. Yeah. Um, So, if you couldn't be in technology and you couldn't be in biz dev it just let's just say it was off the table is there i mean you have a lot you know that's one of the things i like when we we're hanging out and talking recently you have a lot of interest and we have a lot of mutual interest is there a dream job that if you could do anything and i asked this jorge i asked this question of all my guests just because it gives us a different insight into you know, you. Um, and sometimes I'm very surprised and sometimes I'm not. But is there something like you dream about doing?
1: Yeah. Um, so I I have to share with the audience that um my career was more led by what I saw my dad. You know, I'm a civil engineer because I saw my dad being a civil engineer, I saw him successful. But believe it or not, uh the trait that he had, it was more a relator. Uh, you know, the way that he built the relationship, the networks, he was a natural seller. And I took that uh, and I think maybe I inherited that. But um, and that's why even though I was a civil engineer and I did then my master's degrees in, in finance and marketing, something that I'm, I'm very passionate that uh, if a, if I had a magic wand and I can choose, you know, how to start over, I wouldn't have taken maybe the path that I am right now. I would have taken, uh, I will say a path where I could be, I will say a personal finance educator in particular targeting young adults. I think one of the, the things that are missing a lot, uh, it's how do you manage your own uh, finances? And that's something that is not being taught at school or even in the university, even though you're doing microeconomics and you're doing it in economics or, or an administration, um, degree, you know, they're not teaching nowadays exactly how you build wealth, how you become financially independent, how you manage your, your day-to-day finances, how do you save, how do you invest, what's a liability, what's an asset. So the average kid today, they don't receive that. And once they realize uh, that that's something that is missing, it's too late. So I would love to be, I will say, a trainer, an educator, had I started again, And the other thing that I will teach alongside with that one is more the spiritual side. How do you drive self-awareness? How do you have self-awareness of your emotions, which I think is critical for anyone to discover their genius side, right? Their, uh, their likes, their interests, but also the dislikes. So I'm always uh, telling my kids, you know, be conscious about your breathing, be conscious about your heartbeat, be conscious about how your, your emotions are all the time. And the more that you're conscious and self-aware, the more that you can identify what lights you up, but also what drains energy from you. So you can be more always conscious, looking for the things that uh, fire you versus the things that, uh, you know, take you down. That's what I would have done.
0: I love it. I agree with you. I think that's very much needed. I was thinking maybe you're going to have a a wellness retreat slash scuba diving place in the Cayman Islands or something like that.
1: that's in the bucket list. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jo- I, with I Joe Dispenza
0: coming <laughs> to talk,
1: something like that. Totally. I, you know, believe it or not, Dirk, uh, I always tell my wife if uh, I haven't met you, I will be maybe in Bonaire, one of those islands in the Caribbean, and just like barefoot all the time, teaching how to scuba dive and maybe having a village or a little shack where I can host, you know, retreats. <laughs> Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) I love it. I could see it. Um, Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with as we wind this uh, down as far as, I mean, you've thrown out a lot of really good information, but you understand that this is an audience that's looking, struggling. We both have kids that are probably trying to figure out what the heck they want to do. Uh, Any advice that you would give to them just kind of to maybe help identify uh, a a clear path that's maybe more in alignment with who they are?
1: Oh, totally. I will say what I tell my kids and I always remind myself all the time is, you know, life is short and and working is going to be a big portion of your life. So you better choose what you're really passionate about. And to me. Uh, it's the secret formula are two things. One is that self-awareness, exactly if you try to read your body and your mind to see how you behave when you have different experiences so you can identify what type of person you are and each of us are different. So I will tell your audience is focus on yourself, look inside you and always assess yourself, how your body reacts, how you're excited how your mood is excited how you're shining versus maybe how you're doing something that oh my gosh take you down that's the first thing that i'll say and secondly um the advice for your audience will be aside from that self-awareness will be i'm gonna quote a very famous outdoor uh dwine day uh, dyer yep. and i think uh wine dyers says two things one is The way you look at things, the things you look at change. So very interesting, which is pretty much the attitude that you have in front of the things. So the attitude that you have is more important than what's in front of you. And that creates a different experience for yourself. But also the other thing that I I wanted to call out about him is life is about a match game. It's playing matching. What does that mean? Well, to be successful, you have to match four things. You have to match your background and your experiences, because all that baggage, even though you say, oh, I'm 21 years old, I don't have much experience. Yes, you do. If you look at yourself, you have already accumulated certain experiences. You already know something about you. You have already been exposed to some certain activities and education, etc. So that counts. And that's a moving target because every day that's going to be accumulating and that's going to be changed. The second thing that you have to match with those backgrounds and experiences, what you what you like. So, and I just talk about that, but then also you have to match those two things with the third one, which is where do you want to go? So you have to take the reins of your life. Don't let yourself be followed by the rest, but take the reins you're the captain of your soul. So make sure that you make those decisions th- thoughtfully where you want to continue being uh, developed or what are those things that you want to continue pursuing. And those three things, you match them with an environment. So, for example, making it real. If you want to be a surfer, you have to surf your life and you like surfing and you want to continue now surfing big wave, you cannot be living in Texas, right? So if you enjoy the sunset, you cannot live to the east. So, There are things that you have to put in coherence. Um, They have to be cohesive and and they have to be in harmony. They have to be aligned. And you have to always, every day, look for that alignment
0: yeah that's really really good um you know i wish I, I mean some of my podcasts like that i wish i heard that when i was 22 23. i i just i think sometimes people don't adult or kids young adults don't think like that and maybe because it doesn't feel safe you know they're they're chasing money or they're chasing a, a direction that looks and sounds good Um, But I think that's really great advice. And I think it's a great way to end it. So Jorge, I really appreciate it. Um, uh, It was an honor to interview you and I uh, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.